0: Thank you, Terry, choir, all of our soloists, and of course, praise band and orchestra. Always blessed that you all just bring it to us in the honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Good to see you this morning. We have entered into March. What is that saying? March enters like a line, but goes out like a we'll see (laughs) in the anomaly of weather this year. We'll see. Just a, a word about a uh, passing this past week, uh, this past Friday. Steve Shoemaker passed away on this past Friday. I know many of you know Debbie. let to extend that to you. I know that many of you will want to extend your condolences to her in that process, so I bring it up in that mode to do that. There are no uh, plans for memorial uh, made yet at this time, so Thank you for hearing that and thank you. Debbie works downstairs with our children for many, many years, uh, 16 years I guess now. And so be praying for her. Thank you. Today's message has to do with, well, that thing that can happen in life called a mess. And most of you have lived long enough as we continue in this theme for the third week. There's a message inside of a mess. And there's a message for each one of us here today. The message has to do a lot with what God does in the midst of these messes. And today as we look at this, I want to just reflect on something for just a moment. There's a, a Life magazine up here. It's written, uh, published during World War II. Do they look at that in school? Do you students learn about World War II anymore? Do they still have that? I mean, I mean, I, it's interesting when I do the different surveys, and I'm not making fun of the students, it's the educational system, right? So please hear me saying that, and it's not the teachers, it's the people that are the higher-ups, I guess, but they were doing a little survey of people that, their understanding of history. And some of the people they were interviewing thought, well, first they had the World War I, they named it that, because they thought they'd be having a World War II but World War I was named, when it happened, the war to what? End all wars. And humanity, we, what we learn about humanity, we learn so well. Think about this. It ends close to 1920, 1919, right? Twenty years later, Hitler's invading places and the start is happening. Now, I'll put a context on it. How many of you remember Y2K? Right? Some of you. I'm even going back from that time when we're looking for that to happen to today is about the time frame from World War One, the war to end the war, to the next one. How did we do? Hmm. Not too good, right? Not too good. Well, this is a magazine. It's written in 1942 in June. And on the front is just got the USO Victory Bell, and there's all kinds of photos in here of different soldiers and Navy and all kinds of people doing all different kinds of things. Um, very interesting, some of the sacrifice that was made and some great photos in this magazine, remembering that back, well, we have folks in our church, even last hour, Phil Hewitt was here, World War II vet and double Purple Heart, so... Anyway, today, uh, we'll refer back to that. There is a message inside of a mess. It reflects on what's happening in the life of Moses. And we're going to look today at God's providence with a motif that runs through the message. Yesterday I was sitting by a well. Are you sitting by a well? Bring up our scripture passage if you would. Exodus 2.15c. Last week we ended with... Uh, Exodus 2:15, A and B, but purposely start here because we find Moses sitting down by a well. Bring up our map, if you would very quickly, and we can see from this that Moses has, by the way, he's a champion for those who are being persecuted. He's a champion of those that are under some kind of oppression. And he goes out when he sees an Egyptian soldier beating on one of his brethren, one of the Hebrews. He decides he's going to fix it by murdering that person. The king finds out, Pharaoh finds out, and he has to flee. Here's a scale. This is 100 miles. And you can see how far he goes by jet all the way to here, right? That, that journey would have taken weeks and weeks, very Easily could have been 250, 300 plus miles. Did any of you walk 250 to 300 plus miles yesterday? I see that hand. Yes, there was a sale at Friendly Center. Some of you did walk that far <laughs> almost yesterday. By the way, if you're joining in our simulcast, thank you for joining to us, with us today as we continue in this series dealing with Moses and God's providence. What well, we see, Moses made this incredible journey And if you want to see the hand of God, the providence of God, along that way, he didn't go and finally stop there as far as doing it nonstop. This is not a nonstop walk here, okay? Many places along the way, no doubt he'd find a little something and ration his food out, because where is he going? How far do you go to get out of the hands of Pharaoh, who's going to come and kill you? He keeps going and going and going And perhaps as he gets over to here, into this barren land, finally feels he is far enough away out of the hand of Pharaoh to be able to save his life. So that's where he is. He's from a palace. He's from the luxuries of a palace. He's been with his family, his friends, and familiar setting. And now he's in the middle of a wilderness sitting by a well. Let's continue because it begs a question that comes up right on our screen right now as we see that come up right now <laughs> they'll get see now what <laughs> i've asked that many time up here now what and now what you see moses is fleeing but god guided him and the thing is Moses probably doesn't even know in the midst of he's fleeing, that God is guiding him. I have no doubt that every single person in this room right now has had some point in their life in some way, we flee from something. Many times, even in the midst of that, God is guiding us. And you see, he's isolated due to a poor choice. And again, we're going to find Moses connected with a water motif, okay? Originally, when we see Moses, we find him being placed in a reed basket that's covered in pitch. He's placed in the water. And now we find him by some water at a well. And later, we'll find him with some other water that's parting. It's amazing, isn't it? And then striking a rock and... Anyway... There was a water motif in his life. So what do we have? We have lesson learned. Uh, Bring up the next scripture passage. Thank you. Lesson learned and a strength remains a strength. Let me say this before we read this. Listen carefully. As human beings, we're terribly myoptic. We look and we believe many times what our experience is, what we think is the only right thing. Because we many times weigh it through our strength. And therefore, a strength can remain a strength if we use it as that. For you introverts, you may think, well, we shouldn't say anything. Well, let's just process that. For you extroverts, it's do, think, do. Many times say we don't need to say. For the sensors, you don't want to move because you're paralyzed. If we do something right or wrong, got to find every fact, everything, dig up the last thing. And for the intuitives... Bloom out of it can make assumptions that are not true and get us in lots of trouble. And if all those combinations add to lots of things. So Moses had a strength. And his strength was he was a champion of the oppressed. He goes out to see his people and they're being oppressed. So he tries to fix it in the wrong way. But Moses learned something. Perhaps when he has a lot of time to think along the way. And he ends up in a place. Now, I want you to think for a moment. It's hard now. If you had someone coming in on a flight from someplace, some of our students may have come back out of town after spring break, or maybe you've tried to meet someone at a certain place at a certain time. In our modern techno society with cell phones and everything else, you may not always connect, right? May not happen perfectly. How about if you were trying to plan something on that journey from Egypt into Midian and meet a particular group of people at a particular time? Let's pick it up. Exodus 2, 16 and 17. Now a priest of Midian Midian had seven daughters. Stop. There's one wedding bill, right? (laughs) Uh, I can't imagine. Anyway... And he, this is Jethro. He goes by a different name here. He has goes by a couple of different names here. He had seven daughters. And they came to draw water and fill troughs to water their father's flock. So the father's saying, look, we've got all these sheep. And there's a flock of sheep and sheep can get really thirsty. And so these young ladies that can take these clay jars, they can go to a well and fill it up, they can do this. It says some shepherds came along. And drove them away. They see these young ladies out there. The shepherds come up and do a really ugly thing. These young ladies are there first. And they come and drive them away. Bullying is not new in the 21st century, is it? Is it? Now, but who else is by the well? You can say his name out loud. not a hard quiz. <laughs> Moses sat by a well. So no doubt he's there. This scene is unfolding. He can hear the sheep ah, coming over the perhaps the horizon there. And here comes these seven lovely ladies coming. Probably maybe some of the first people he's seen in a group for a long time. He's sitting by the well. And then along comes These great heroes. Shepherds came along and drove them away. The Bible doesn't tell us how that happened. But the word drove is very strong. It shows there was probably some resistance. But they bullied them out of there. Now. It says. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. Moses got up. And. You can read this so quickly. If you're, reading, if you're reading through the Bible in a year, you can miss some of the significance of what's taking place here. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Moses is the champion of the weak and champion of injustice, and he needs to get restored. He's had a major failure. He's murdered someone. He's driven out. He is lost just about everything. Lost just about everything he's had. And he has an opportunity now to go and kill those shepherds. I'm winking, right? It doesn't say he got up and killed them. And we don't know how he drove them away. But because of his garb, he no doubt looked like he was Egyptian royalty in some ways, a prince of Egypt. And we don't know if he said, if you do that, if you don't stop doing that, let these young ladies come, I'm going to bring an army down. We're going to wipe you out. We don't know what he said, what happened. Something happened to where he drives them away. One against all those other shepherds, right? And they came to draw water and fill troughs. What's that about? Many people have pictured that as they came and got water, went back to their father's house, poured it in the troughs there, and watered the sheep. That's not the case. In the word of God in Genesis 24, 20, she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. This is Rebekah getting water for Abraham's camels. Many times, bring up that depiction if you would. Many times what they would do by a well is they would put these troughs by them so that they could actually draw water from the well, not have to walk five miles or something. They would go and fill them up. They have, in excavations, pictures of trough after trough after trough. They would come, they would get the water from the well and fill these troughs. Many times carved out of stone, but sometimes they would hollow out a tree trunk and put these consecutively, knowing that the shepherds would come for water, whoever was there with their livestock, you would drink your water, you were right there by the well and days before you can get in your car and take it back to the house, they would water them right there. So this was a practice that was taking place. These seven daughters come out. They're going to draw this water from the well. It was a process, and even as close as these troughs could have been, it was still some work. And these other shepherds come up, and they cut in line. How many of you like people cutting in line in front of you when you're going to do something? Huh? Eric, just step in line. Excuse me, I'm getting in front of you. Now, we, we do a little more sophisticated than that, but these guys didn't. They pretty much came and bullied their way in front of them. I'm so glad I know Jesus. Because <laughs> I have a strength that can become a weakness in a minute. But, you see, before Moses did it his, his way, before Moses went and he did it his way, he saw that Egyptian and he kills him. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. But Moses got angry and he sinned and did the wrong thing. Lesson learned. Moses, don't let your strength become a weakness because eventually I'm going to use you. And you're going to want to kill a whole bunch of those Israelites. (laughs) You're going to want to kill a whole bunch of them. But I want you to learn something. You have to do it my way. So Moses goes there and he had learned something at least at this point. And of all the people to come up there, we see him faced with this instance of injustice and they come along, they're driven away, he gets up, he rescues them. But ladies and gentlemen, listen carefully. It doesn't take a whole lot to do a little bit more. It doesn't say Moses rescued him and said, okay, you can fill your troughs now. What does it say? Moses got up, came to the rescue and watered their flock. It's important. It's important. It's important because sometimes God wants us to do just a little bit more. All of us have passed by someone that's been by the side of the road with maybe a flat tire. And the initial response is, at least as I'm thinking, I hope there's someone in there to help change that tire for this person. But sometimes you can see a mom and some kids standing by a car. Can I call someone for you? (laughs) see, the real response is, can I do that? You have AAA, or can I get out and I help you do it? Or, can I do it? A little bit more. We have some folks, I'm so blessed to serve with so many of you, that always go a little bit more, sometimes a lot more. And you bless people. You don't have to go that distance, but you do. And God used it in a wonderful way, a wonderful way. And so, he does a little bit more, he waters the flock. We don't know what's going to happen with all of that, but Moses does it. Moses, where were you yesterday? I was sitting by a well. Well, God delivers Moses from isolation. Sometimes you can be isolated in the midst, right now in the middle of this place, you can be, feel isolated I talked to someone recently that felt very isolated. Their prayers were hitting, not even hitting a ceiling. The Lord delivered Moses from isolation. You see, the devil wants you and I isolated. That's what he wants for you and me. He wants us to be isolated because in our isolation, he can conquer any little guilt trip or any little garbage going on in our lives. We can get in a pity party. We can get there. And Moses could have been there and saying, You know what? I tried to do what's right. Look what happened to me. Look what happened to me. But God delivered him from his isolation. It says in verses 18 through 20 of Exodus 2 When the girls return to Rahel, you'll he'll hear him referred to you have the Bible as Jethro. He's got a couple of different names he goes by. And no, not Jethro from the Beverly Hills Bill. It's Jethro of the Bible, okay? Uncle Jed. He returned to their father. He asked them, why have you returned so early? The girls get back early. And no doubt Moses was getting that water, putting it in there, and no doubt maybe showing off his muscles, his brawn, whatever, or whatever. He got those troughs filled, and they come back. They answered. An Egyptian, once again, probably by his dress or by uh, dialogue where he's from, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds now look what they note. Look what is here. Parents and grandparents. Do you want someone messing with your children or grandchildren? Do you want to come home and find out someone bullied them out of there? And t- do you want? Listen. So Jethro's listening to this. What? Why are you back so well? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. How do you think he's feeling about now? You have grandchildren, sir, right? How do you think he's feeling about now? So what does he want to know? And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Ah. When was the last time you sat down in someone's house, Moses. And had something to eat with a conversation with some people. When was the last time you had that to happen? And Moses, this time though, you went a little bit more. And a priest, out of all the meetings that could happen, out of all the places and the timing, and who was sending those young ladies at that time to go to that well, there's Moses. And God's restoring him. He got it right this time. He did what was right. What a blessing that is. And we can see that Jethro wants to know, where is he? You see, right now Moses is outside. He's got no family, no friends. And it's hard to imagine this, but think about it. What drew Moses out to see his people was he saw the oppression of his people and no doubt thought, as the prince of Egypt, I'm going to do something to lead these people out of here and stop the oppression. So you know what else died when Moses had to leave? His future died, his dreams died. What was he thinking outside of that well when he's sitting there saying I'm an utter failure. The very thing I wanted to do I can't do now. I wanted to save him from the oppression and now I'm the oppressed one. I'm in the middle of nowhere with no family, no friends, And my dream is dead. I don't even have a future. I'm wandering like a nomad. And it's crazy, isn't it? It's bizarre, isn't it? He goes, I've got all these things, but let me just say to you, but God. But God. Once again, God was guiding him all the way, even though Moses was unaware of it. Totally unaware of that. And he's going to bless Jethro and his family. He's going to bless Moses in the midst of all of this. You see, pain, pain can be a great teacher. Physical and emotional pain can be an incredible teacher. It can bring us acutely close to God if we allow it. It can show us our bankruptcy. It can show us our failure and draw us. Physical and emotional pain can draw us to God. But God, this divine restoration and training process begins in a very unlikely manner. You think Moses went there to go and get invited to someone's house? You may not see what's coming around the corner. It may look like you're just sitting by a well with no future, no hope. You may be in isolation, but God, and look what happens. It's an unlikely manner, but that's the nature of God. If we could figure it all out, what kind of a God would that be, right? Only in a Hallmark movie can you have it end the same way every time. God's pretty original. He has it end differently millions of times all through the day. So in this incredibly unlikely manner of this guy who used his strength as a weakness, who had the right idea to save his people from oppression but went the wrong way, he loses his family, he loses his friends, he loses his future, his dreams... And the priest, a priest in the midst of that barren place says, invite him to have something to eat. And on that invitation, Moses' life would change. It's an incredible, incredible thing. You see what happens when you do the right way, the right thing God's way. When you do the right thing God's way, When you own something and repent of it. When you say, God, I just need to confess it. Great things happen. Great things happen. And they're not an accident. There were two... Well, there was an international missionary in Tanzania in Africa. Traveling with a Tanzanian pastor. Both pastoring in Tanzania. In the town of Bukaba. They're 60 miles away from their church, their homes... They get into a head on collision. There are people injured, but no one dies. Both missionaries, uh, but both the missionary and the ten, Tanzanian pastor are okay. As we do here in the States, they do overseas. All the rubberneckers want to see what's happened with this accident, right? What's happening there? It's an accident. Oh no, they hit and cars got damaged. What are we looking for when we rubberneck? I don't know what. But people are looking. They're all gathering around. But they were amazed at this. They were amazed at something as the story goes because the two men in this one car beginning to pass out these pieces of paper, their gospel tracts, and talking to people about Jesus. Huh? They're kind of amazed with it. And so uh, Ray Moore, the one missionary gets a ride that day back to Bogota. The other Tanzanian pastor stays with the wreck car because they have to get a wrecker or some vehicle there to carry it the 60 miles back. While that Tanzanian pastor is staying there, some other people from a church in that area, but not close, but in the area, hear about it. Three members of that congregation come to go support that Tanzanian pastor there for the next two days while he's waiting for a wrecker to come. In those two days, 14 people are led to Jesus, right, because of an accident, because of an accident. I don't speak Swahili, so I had to look this up, and it tells you in the story. On that site of that accident, two weeks later, a church is formed. How cool is that? Now, listen to the name of the church. It's Kanisa La Ajali, Swahili. Anyone here know what that is off the top of your head? We actually had a Swahili teacher that was coming to our church for a while, and I think took another position. So it may still be here, I don't know. You know what that means? Only Baptists can do this. It means Accident Baptist Church. <laughs> That's what it means. Accident Baptist Church. But you see, they took something, handed it to God, and look what God did. Look what God did. God works in such unexpected ways. Sometimes you go just a little bit more, fill the troughs, Go a little bit more, fill the troughs, and see what God will do. And we see how an act of kindness is repaid in a totally unexpected way. Moses does this out of his character, out of how how God created him, as the champion of the oppressed, and here's what happens. It says in verses 21 and 22, Moses agreed to stay with the man, presupposing that he agreed to stay that Jethro is so pleased with this guy. He's seen the character of him. He said, I want you to stay here. Moses had no home and nothing right before this, didn't he? Look what happens in the blink of an eye in an unexpected way. If you'd asked Moses before that happened, you think he'd be staying in the house eating a great meal and finding a wife? Huh? I've got no dreams, no future. i got nothing. He not only gets to stay there, who gave his daughters a poor to Moses in marriage? Huh? You talk about hitting the spiritual lottery. How about that? Right? Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I've become an alien in a foreign land. Now Moses has a wife and a son. Where were you yesterday, Moses? I was sitting by a well. I was sitting in isolation, in despair, and with no future. My dreams were dashed, and the purpose I think God made me for has been thrown away because I threw it away. Don't you believe? That your dream. is thrown away as long as there's a living God living in heaven. But God, God works in unexpected ways. Discouragement is the tool of the devil himself. And he will want to put you in isolation and destroy you. And he's really good at it. God was working in an incredible way. Simultaneously, not only on Moses... But many times we're saying, God, where are you? I've been praying for this thing to happen. Where are you in the midst of this? Because after all, we're at least as, we're not quite as smart as God, but we're down here. We really see it. He's away playing golf in heaven and misses a thing or two, right? Wrong. God was working simultaneously to prepare both the deliverer, Moses, and the people who needed deliverance. Look at it. And Exodus 2 23 through 25, during that long period, that long period of 40 years while Moses and Midian, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard. God heard their groaning. And remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and say these next words, and was concerned about them. That concern didn't happen right then. He was always concerned about them. Then, Pastor, I want to ask you something. Then why didn't God save them all the way back all that time before that? Yeah, yeah, God is almighty, and He's so smart. Why didn't He save them all the way back then? Hmm? Well... The bottom line is, God has to prepare us. also has to prepare the people that may need deliverance. And you know what's a great teacher to do that? Do you know what it is? It's pain and suffering. That's what it is. As much as we fight it and hate it. You see, God already knew. Listen carefully. You can't take a half-hearted people and have them come up to a sea that's blocking them. And think they're going to follow. You can't take people up to a landfill with uh, Canaanites, Amorites, Mennonites. And all the other kind of things that are in there. And think a half-hearted people will cross that river. And go in to defeat them. Because even with all the suffering and everything else they had. Look what happened. Even with all the development of all the suffering they had. A whole generation had to die. As much as God sought to prepare them. You see, God's preparing the deliverer and those who need to be delivered. And he has them in that pain and suffering to the point that the word of God says they cried out to God. There's times we can throw up something to God, but the word's very descriptive. That means it's from the gut. They're finally learning some dependence on God. And God says, I've got, I, I'm preparing you. I don't want a half-hearted people trying to leave this place. Because you'll make a mess of it. I don't want a half-hearted leader either. He's got to learn to keep his strength to strength. Because there are probably going to be some times when you all rebel that he's going to take his staff and just break your head. I want to teach him some things. So you be ready. Be patient. You see, God heard their groaning. God heard it all along. And he was for them all along. But he was preparing them. He's preparing them in the school of pain, suffering, and hurt. Would take more than just some words to change a half-hearted people, and many of them were. So God heard it. Bring up that slide. Thank you. He heard it, and because he heard it, he was concerned about them. He never lost his concern. But God's concern is not for the immediate answer to my prayer. His concern is for the long-term best good for the whole group and for me. And it wasn't just go right now because they probably wouldn't appreciate it and even got as far and had as much failure as they did. But through the pain and suffering, there were a couple of people that did learn something, Joshua and Caleb. Through that, they learned something, didn't they? God looked at and was concerned for them. We see the king of Egypt died, they cried, and they were heard. Are you by a well today? Do you feel like you've lost your dream? you feel like it's over? I have this book here, this magazine, for a reason. It's about World War II. And during World War II, we have a veteran that was here last hour, uh, Phil Hewitt, 97, uh, double Purple Heart, I believe. And so many wonderful stories of her- heroism and all came out of this war. And God in this process was preparing people with his providence and his care. He was always looking. And it could have been that Moses what can I do? I'm but one person. Now that my dreams are dashed, what's going to happen? In a book, The Fall of Fortresses, It's written that these gigantic bombers, these flying fortresses, are flying over Germany. One in particular the story cites is flying over a city called Kassel, Germany. Anyone does that ring a bell with anyone that we have someone there? Nate Martin is there, one of our members. He's there ministering with Middle Eastern refugees inside of a church setting where the government pays him to help integrate them into the country and culture. His tool for integration happened to be sitting right on here. A paid missionary to talk about Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? But he's in Castle. I thought when I uh, came back in contact with this particular dynamic and story, I said, wow. Flying over Castle... Captain Fox sees that the plane has been hit with a 20-millimeter shell. That's what they would fire up there to take these down. All it takes is one shell. It hits, it ignites, it's in the gas tank, and those wings are so large, the whole craft is lost, everyone dies. He knows it's hit, but they keep flying, nothing's happening. They eventually get back to England. They land. He says to the flight crew on the ground, I want that shell. I want that shell when you take it out. He comes back later to retrieve it and he's told that intelligence came to get that shell. He said, but it's not one shell. We took 11 out of those wings, 11 20 millimeter shells. Intelligence got them, they brought them to fit folks to disarm them to whatever place this was. They're disarming them and they notice in 10 of the shells there is no charge. They're empty. But in one of them, there's a scrolled up note. And it's written in check. And none of those disarmers knew how to read check. And so the intelligence people scour that whole area, find someone that can read that. What does it say? And I've written it down. When they eventually found out what it said these were the words. This is all we can do for now. Not even knowing those Czech prisoners who are working inside of that munitions plant. Never knowing that not putting any charge inside of those shells would save the lives of that entire crew. Perhaps Countless people in the future on its other flights as it would fly to other places and try to end this war. And some might have thought, what good is this going to do? And even if we put this in there, who in the world, even if it's to hit an aircraft, is going to find this note? It's just too small. It's just too stupid. But you know what? God does things in ways that can't be explained, doesn't he? It said, this is all we can do for now. And you may be in a place right now that all you can do for now is sit by the well and wait for God to work in some way in your life. But I want to promise you, as sure as there is a God in heaven... If he's your Lord and Savior, he is concerned about you. He may be preparing you to deliver or the people who need to be delivered, but he wants you to be delivered out of isolation. He wants you to be delivered from the dynamic that your dream is shot. Your dream's not shot, but God. And that little thing, what is this going to do? You don't know. But either putting a little note inside of an empty shell or putting some water in a trough, what God may do to take a turn in your life, college student, high school student, those out there, single adults, married adults, senior adults, make no difference, child. Do the right thing the right way and let God's strength be his strength through you. As pastors come forward now, listen carefully. We're not waiting long. God has already spoken to some hearts in here. We'd love for you to come forward and respond. We're not going to wait long today. Please come and respond. Don't even wait for me to say stand up. Just come and pray with someone or pray alone up here. Because some of you have had your dreams dashed. And right now, something may be saying, I need to hold on to this. I can't go forward. I can't. Just come forward. God's working in your family. He's working in your workplace. He's working in your class. He's working on your campus. I am believing God to do some crazy, unexplained things on the campuses in our city. Are you believing that? Ryan believes that. He's made a commitment with his wife to move to be in the middle of that campus with his wife and children. He believes it. Do you believe it? Do you dare to believe God for that? God wants to change a generation. And it's not going to start by saying, We're not going to. What kind of a little thing can that do? Let me tell you something. I said last week, a little thing in the hand of God is a big thing water in a trough or an empty munition shell. If you're looking for a church home, we also invite you to come today as a candidate for membership. New member classes start next week. There's a breakfast, there's a lunch at 9 15. You come. It's a great time of fellowship. Even if you Decide we do not want to be part of this thing. You get a breakfast and a lunch, right? And lastly, I'm talking about the God of the universe that came to this earth. Jesus Christ, God who took on flesh. He's so good that he loved us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our failure and garbage, took all of our garbage, our sin upon him on the cross. He bled and died, rose three days later. And our message here, he offers eternal life as a gift that you receive. You can't earn it by it, be good enough to go to heaven, because heaven's perfect, and we're not. Jesus paid for our perfection. When you receive it, you receive the gift of eternal life. Then you serve him in the Christian life, not to be saved or go to heaven, but because you are. Please stand once again. We're not going to wait. Come. God's already spoken to your heart. be my